Welcome to the Inspire Podcast. My name is Kyle Hastings, and I will be sharing stories and talking with everyday people who will encourage, will inspire, and will motivate. Throughout my journey of life, I have been very lucky to meet many beautiful people with amazing stories of transformation and growth. Inspire is here to bring out the best of you. Enjoy the show. Many of us do not have our grandparents around and we wish we would have our grandparents with us a little bit longer to ask them those questions, ask them those questions that would help us grow, help us learn from what they went through, being Great Depression children to fighting through World War II, living through many generational and cultural changes in the United States. Miss Ann Fiermeyer lived through those. She's continuing to live through those, coming up on her 91st birthday in October. This podcast was very special to me. These were a lot of the questions I would love to ask my grandparents, and I was very lucky to ask Miss Ann Fiermeyer during our interview in her condo in the suburbs of Chicago. Hope you enjoy the second part of this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and let's enjoy part two of Miss Ann Fiermeyer. 90 beautiful years and counting. This podcast wouldn't be possible if it was not from the help of the Tory Foot and Ankle Specialists located in Homer Glen and New Lenox, Illinois. With fall sports season starting, so will the unfortunate foot and ankle injuries of your young athletes and yourselves. Allow Dr. Chris Vittori and Dr. Amit Thakrar treat your foot and ankle injuries with world-class care and the latest technology. Call Vittori Foot and Ankle Specialist at 708-273-7080. Visit them at VittoriFootClinic.com and like and follow them at Vittori Foot and Ankle Specialist on Instagram and Facebook. Have you thought about what you're going to have for dinner tonight? Consider Plermo's at 63rd Street. They have three locations to better serve their customers. The original location at 63rd and Hamlin, City of Chicago, Plermo's of 63rd and Frankfurt at 446 South LaGrange Road, and Plermo's of 63rd in Maryville, Indiana at 2893 East 81st Avenue. Visit Plermo's of 63rd to get all three locations phone numbers at www.plermo's63rd.com. When you call to order your pizza for tonight, tell them Kyle sent you. So Dick and, and yourself, you guys were courting for a while. You guys were, were dating and... and um... Is that the proper term? Is, is that what it was, what you would call dating or courting or uh, you guys were together dating? Yeah, we would go roller, you know, usually roller skating. But we went to movies and sometimes yeah. out to dinner or, you go, you know, like to go to auto shows. There were different things that going on in Chicago that we could go, you know, like on the weekends usually. Right. When did you guys get married? In... Um, I got to think this. <laughs> That's okay. In 1953. 1953. And do you remember when he asked you to marry him? Yes. And how did that go? Well, I mean, we was we it wanted... a special event? Was it something special he planned, or or what was it? A like very ceremonial, or was it just spur of the moment? Actually, no, it wasn't. I don't think it was a spur of a moment thing. But I mean, we had planned to get married, and then. Um, um, I, I got to just think back here for a few minutes. He, um, he had been very, he'd had a, a health problem, and he uh, thought he was going to have to live with that. Was I'm gonna be honest? I don't have this has to be on a recording, but he's he had colitis. Okay. 
and he he wasn't uh, you know he was having a battle with it and then I'm the one who talked him into getting a job because he thought he was just going to be an invalid the rest of his life and uh, I talked him into he didn't have to get a physical exam because he had worked at that company before right, and right. he got his job back and or not a back but doing well, they didn't re, they didn't uh, refuse anybody that had been in the service and they didn't even have an exam and so that's how he became an inspector so he got his job you know he did get back to work and so you you gave him purpose and he knew right away that <laughs> that you were the one you were the one forever <laughs> well but I, it was lucky that he uh, I was probably the stronger one. I got him to, yeah, because um, you know his parents were well to do, and they it didn't matter to him if he worked or not. He drove his mother had a nice car, always had a you know a really nice Mercury, and they're very wealthy. Yes. So 1953 is the is the wedding year. You guys got married. Was it a was it a big wedding? Was it a uh, was it was it a big wedding, small oh, yeah. wedding? No, it was good size. Yeah. Okay, so I just had a note. Okay, so so Dick he, he uh, contracted a brain tumor. He what? Did he, uh, Dick get a brain tumor? A, a brain tumor, uh, a yes. thing on the brain. When when did that happen? Oh, he was in the service. So he was in the service and he contracted a brain tumor. And so, did they send him home, or or how how did that go about with? When he came down with that, no, he was in. Uh, he wound up going into uh, Denver. He was in. He he was stationed in Denver, Colorado, and then somehow they needed. They put a plate in his head, so he. They felt they had better doctors in Montgomery, Alabama, and they that's how they they sent him there. And then they also found out that. He was better off living in a lower sea level. It made a difference, you know, in his, I don't know, his colitis or whatever happened. But anyway, he had a, he did have a plate in his head. Did that, was there any severe, That that's a pretty severe uh, complication, severe illness, or uh, even now, even in today's time, if you have a brain tumor, that's major. What year, was that about 1950? 1945 to 1955? Was, he probably had around 1950, 51, somewhere along there. So that must have been very scary for everybody that he, he had this. Yes. Did he have it removed? Did he have the brain tumor removed? Yeah, he had a plate in his head. And the surgery was uh, it was successful, obviously. Yeah. You, have a, you have a beautiful family later. and But was there any complications from that at that time? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, he... He seemed to recover, you know, well. And, wow. So he, he went through a lot. He had, you know, from here, the whole side. Wow. Wow. So 1953, you get married. When did you guys start having a family? Right away. Right away. <laughs> <laughs> Wasted no time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me about that. So you, uh, obviously, I, I know Carl, your son. How many children did you have? I had five. Five, and, and what were their names? Uh, well, I had uh, Buzz Richard is Buzz. Uh, Buzz is the oldest one, but his okay. name is Richard, and he's a junior. But uh, then I had a set of twins, 
But then we lost one. It, they had meningitis, and so we lost one of the twins. They were about a year and a half old. Nancy and Mary Jane, Nancy, right? Mary Jane survived. Nancy passed okay. away. And then I didn't have any children for, oh, two or three years. And then I had Jill, and then I had Carl. Could, uh, Nancy and Mary Jane. My note here is that they were the heaviest twins ever born in the United States mm-hmm. at that time. And they, and they were national celebrities in all the newspapers and on all the news. How big were they? 814. Mary Jane was 814 and Nancy was 81. You want to get a picture up there and show him? You can see it from there. Up there but, um, and they were born in a car. Wait, eight fourteen, and I didn't expect twins. I didn't. Have... <laughs> and, and and you were a petite little lady, and you had six, 17 pounds of baby in you. <laughs> oh boy, let's. Oh, beautiful. That's great. Do you mind if I get a photo? Can I oh, take a photo of this? That's that's beautiful. So you had 17, 17 pounds of babies in you. And you are probably as big as my leg. You're a petite little lady. And you had him in a car? Is that what you said? You gave birth to him in a car. How did this happen? How did that happen? What? That they were born in a car? Yeah. Because they came so fast. Actually, uh, his folks lived about three and a half miles from where we lived. And everybody was on standby because they knew I was approaching, you know, delivery date. But the neighbor... Dick ran down, it was only a house between us, he ran down and asked her if she could come down, and while his folks were there, they had to do a detour to get around, they were doing something to the highway on a bridge near where they lived, so anyway, they were a little bit late in getting there, but anyway, the neighbor came, and then Mary Jane, we hadn't even gone a mile, and she was coming out in the car, (laughs) and I didn't know I was having twins, but she didn't come all the way out till we actually got to the hospital. It was St. James Hospital in Chicago Heights from Lansing. Yes. And they, so when he, back in those days, there was hardly any traffic at that time of day, four in the morning. And, but he parked on the wrong side of the street, ran into the hospital and said, my wife's had a baby in the car, so they told him to go around the back. And so I go back there and it was just like some of the other movies that several doctors or nurses or whoever they were came down and and I, you know, Mary was born right there, you know, and I didn't know I was having twins. And then I said, well, here comes the afterbirth. And Dick says, oh, hell, it's got feet. And, but, they, you know, doctor, back in the old days, they liked to guess that you're having a boy or a girl, you know, by the heartbeat, you know. And so they, I thought I was having a boy. So I thought I had a boy because I didn't know what I had. And they grabbed and ran in the hospital. And so when Nancy was born, I, I thought I had a boy and a girl twins. <laughs> you know. But then when I got up to the room, and then Dick came in and he told me, he says, we have twin girls. They're identical. And they weighed 814 and 81. That's amazing. The, when, you were going, when you were pregnant with the twins... Did did your doctor say anything of how big? I mean, your I mean your belly must have been just gigantic, being a, a, a very tiny lady. The and idiot. The last checkup I the had, <laughs> he 
I gained eight pounds in a week. Eight pounds in a week? <laughs> My legs were 13 and a half inches. Uh, I was, I couldn't, I didn't wash you. You ever talk about being pregnant and barefoot and barefoot? pregnant? Well, that from July till September, I couldn't even wear regular shoes because my feet were so swollen. My ankles were like 13 inches and my leg up here was 18 inches. And the doctor says, you got to cut out eating the cake and the ice cream. And I said, I've been telling you all the time, I'm not eating cake and ice cream. I've been retaining this water. And I lost 35 pounds in delivery. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So in ninth, what year was that? Uh, 55. And so in 1955, there was no technology for ultrasound or no technology. It was a stethoscope and the doctor able to hear a heartbeat inside mm -hmm. of you, a baby's heartbeat. And there was no telling that there was one or two heartbeats because it was literally just a stethoscope. Mm -hmm. He would put up to your belly and feel around and see where the head is. or, And that was it. Mm -hmm. How how often were twins born in the 1950s? How rare was twins? Well, their birth was very rare, but I don't think they near what it is today, you know, the numbers. But um, I will tell you, I have a... Um, an album that's, um, I was going to say, if he wants to get the album out, you could see some pictures that would, you know, you want to? Yeah, if, yeah. Let's, if it's uh, right here, on, I don't know. On, on the other side, the doors, and uh, it's uh, people sent us, even people that, because uh, Dick went to Marmion Military Academy. Yes. And then some guy that he, the guy was living in Washington. It's one of those big uh a big brown album. So did you have twins that were in your family on your mom or your dad's side, like uh, relatives yes, that were twins? Yes, there had been a couple sets. And, and was it known then that it was, a gen it was hereditary of having twins? No, no one knew that yet? No. Wow. Oh, no, no Dick, it, I mean, <laughs> it's a big album. Well, if they can't, if they can't find it, it it's okay. We'll, we'll see it eventually. So Nancy, Nancy and uh, Mary Jane were born. And you said that, uh, very sad, that Nancy passed away from spinal meningitis. Mm -hmm. And Mary Jane also contracted spinal yes. meningitis. Now, I, I've heard of spinal meningitis. I, I don't know of anybody that's have had it. Ex explain how spinal meningitis... Was it a, a disease? Is it a gen Were they born with spinal no. meningitis? How does that go about? There's nothing there. It's okay. Yeah. How 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 does spinal meningitis come about? Is that air, was that airborne? Was is that a gen genetically? They probably caught it from somewhere. We don't know where. But I hadn't had them out that much, you know. But I had them shopping, and I don't I don't know. We don't know where they yeah. got it. So how so both babies came down around the same time. Mm -hmm. They're both uh, infected with it at the same time. Medicine wasn't as advanced as it is today. How did you know it was spinal meningitis? How was the diagnosis happened? I took them to the hospital at Children's Memorial, and they're the ones who detected that. And uh, we didn't, and nobody ever heard of meningitis back then, and we were horrified. You know, we just knew that it was. Yeah, and bad. I'm so sorry. That's. 
Uh, and and you already had you had uh, Richard Jr. You had uh, D two. I'm a I'm a junior myself. My dad's Kyle the first, and I'm junior. And so uh, 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 Buzz is that what you you guys called was a Buzz? What's his name? Or Richard? Richard Jr. Dick Jr. Your your oldest son. Richard. Richard. So Richard was how old? About. Um... Well, he was born in 53, so he was about two years old. Two years old. So you had a two-year-old, and then you had... No, he he had to have been almost three or four, you know, because they were uh, 16 months. Okay. You know, you're talking about from birth to... He was born in 53, they were born in 55. 55, so... And then this happened in 57. In 57. So he was almost four years old. So you you had a four-year-old little boy, curious to the world, curious to everything. You had beautiful twins, and they became sick with spinal meningitis. The, the the horrible tragedy of losing a, a child happens. And then your your other daughter, she was also s- still recovering from, from spinal meningitis. How long is the recovery from a spinal meningitis from diagnoses? Well, she was in the hospital for three weeks at Children's Memorial. Okay. And she had brain surgery and, uh, you know, to release the pressure. So they... Uh, but she recovered. I mean, there were lots of men and I mean, a lot of therapy and, uh, you know. Numerous surgeries, surgeries after. Um, yeah, well, they they shaved her head. She had a, they went in here and here and in the back. They ran a tube here to there to see if there was pus on her brain and there wasn't. Okay. But it's totally amazing that she survived and that she came out. She became a nurse. I mean, wow. so she didn't have any. Uh, learning, you know, but she was totally paralyzed in half of her body. Okay. You know. And her life calling was to pay it back, was to pay it forward to help others. Her 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 life calling became a nurse, becoming a nurse. Yeah. Where she was able to help others just like how others helped her. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Her grandma used to say, Grandma Firmar used to say, we don't have a nurse in our family. You have to be a nurse. You have to and be so the nurse. she just felt, she, that's what she wanted to be. Yeah. And, and she became a, a hospice nurse as well. So she was even a bigger angel to families towards their but last But she wore moments. a brace on her leg and lots of therapy. I mean, for years, we went to different places. For, yeah. You know, had to have special shoes and have braces put on her shoes. And, and you but, and Dick went above and beyond to make sure that she was as equipped to be, to be just vibrant and, and live a normal life with whatever type of little age you have to have. You know, it's really amazing. The thing, even just talking about this, but just I want to tell you, the doctor, um, they had her in a, a room that um, they had six other babies with because some of them had different diseases and in the same. But anyway, the doctor um, moved her to a different room. And I went there. Um, I was not happy that they had moved her because that's the last thing the doctors had told them, don't move her without, because the mother doesn't need to come there and not find her. But anyway, I went to call the doctor in Lansing that uh, while I was, um, uh, I was just upset because, uh, you know, with her not being, you know, where she had been. And, but she looked at my purse, the nurse told me they had somebody else in the room and she said, she looked at my purse and she said, Mommy. And that was the first time they knew that she would be able to talk again. 
Because she saw the person. She yeah, recognized that to you. Yeah, she saw the person. You. It was a red purse. I'll never forget it. It had a shoulder strap on it. But I had to go to the pay phone. You know, so I just took some money and left my purse there mm -hmm. on the stand by the bed. But when I was gone, that's what they said. She went mommy, you know. And then everyone smiled <laughs> so and knew we that. we knew she could talk again. That's beautiful. That's great. So a few years after the twins were born, was your next child? Um, Jill was born in 60. So they had a few years. About seven, uh, seven years. Seven years, Jill was born. And then after Jill? Carl was born. Was, this, was this young man right yeah, there? Yeah, he was born in 61. In 61. So, and then is Carl the, is the youngest? Yes. So you have a big gap in between. And the your uh, Richard was born in 50, or uh, 53. Mm-hmm. And Carl was born sixty one, so that's an eight year an eight year difference in age, which is a pretty big a pretty big difference. And you you have a built in babysitter more or less with with Richard. Well, I always felt it was a good thing that God blessed me because if I would have kept having kids, I, you know, I don't think I could have had the, been able to take care of Mary Jane as well yeah. as I did. I think there was just a time that you know I needed help from up there yeah and you got it you got your angels that's for sure so mr fearmeyer worked at canadian ace brewery mm -hmm. what was canadian ace canadian ace yes it was a beer it was a beer it was <laughs> okay <laughs> it was a beer they made beer really and where was this at at 39th and union in chicago 39th and union so he worked there, and is it uh, also his father worked there? His grandpa worked his grandpa. back in the breweries back in the 20s. During pro right after Prohibition? Yeah, grandpa worked at a place in Thornton, Illinois. They had a brewery there. Grandpa worked there before he worked at the brewery, but then somehow he met up with Al Capone. And he <laughs> Al Capone? Oh, oh. <laughs> wow. <coughs> Excuse me, yes. Yeah, he he was personal friends with Al Capone. <laughs> so, so Grandpa was personal friends with Al Capone, and then did Richard did Dick get to know Al Capone as well? I don't think uh, Al Capone was still living when Buzz was... became uh, of age. You know, but Buzz took up to uh, six years old, and he could figure things out with chemicals and. He made it a when he was like in third or fourth grade. He made an air conditioner and had he won a prize with it at school. Wow! You know, I mean, but then they took it. To, they wanted him to go to uh, the. Uh, it's a forty. It was like a forty-second and Union. It used to be like the uh, like where they had shows and displays, and it was right near the brewery. They could go up in the brewery and they could look over and see what was going on at really. <laughs> Like at the Sox Park, even you know. Wow. But anyway, he. Um, um, I'm just trying to think. Of, um, Dick, um, his. Um, I'm just trying to think of the uh, at the brewery, though. I mean, it's uh, it, it's just a lot of stuff about. I'm just thinking about when uh, uh, the guy that owned the brewery, you know. He was good friends with Al Capone, and it was kind of risky. I mean, I was concerned a lot about times when, um, matter of fact, when I had the twins, and then 
somebody killed the owner of the the brewery. And it was a mafia. It was a mafia killer. Yeah, killing. and you know, he's buried down here just on the other side of Oakbrook. Right. What type of stories did Grandpa would share about Al Capone? Um, <laughs> not too much. It wasn't a... Um, we just knew that he was, you know, in, in a behind the, you know... He owned some hotels and different things, you know, and right. he, he offered, uh, he always wanted to bring, uh, uh, he would send rounds of beef <laughs> to their house. His gifts. You know, they said, look out on the driveway and there'd be a big load of wow. choice. Uh, very, well, he was very generous, though. He took care of his people. Yeah, and he also owned a hotel in Chicago, too. Matter of fact, Dick even went over there and worked on the elevator at it. I, I forgot what the name of that place okay. was, but... We'll look it up. That, that's really interesting. It is so interesting. So, Carl was born in 61. Korean War ended. Okay, now we're in 61. You've gone through, I'm going to say, probably three different eras of American history. You, you were born right before the Great Depression. You lived through the World War II era. You lived through the boom korean war you had uh several children 1961 comes and the world's starting to change a little bit it's starting to become a little bit more i would say boisterous do you remember when president kennedy was shot and yes did you talk about that where were you at when that happened i was at home and um i absolutely could not believe it they let the kids out of school because at that time, I think Mary Jane, um, they had so many children. They had uh, too many children. They only could go to school half a day. You know, maybe in the fourth grade, they were going to a Catholic school in Calumet City, mm -hmm. and they were transported with a cab. So, but they brought her home, and I mean, we're like in a state of shock. You know, you can't even believe this happened. But she was there. You know, when they made the announcement, you know, that the president had been killed, and then she also happened to be watching when they killed the guy who killed him, you know what I mean? She was, you know, that... Uh, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. Wow. She happened to be watching that at the same time. So Mary Jane saw both of that mm -hmm. at fourth grade. She was in fourth grade mm -hmm. when that happened. Were you working at the time when Mary Jane was at school, or were you at home still? Uh, I was home that day, but yeah. yes, I had a job driving a school bus, and, and I used to work part-time. Was it for the Catholic school where, where the kids went? Regular public school. Yeah, I drove. I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that yeah. must have been fun. You know, Carl was so little, though. I mean, and you know what? They loved going because they could meet other kids from different schools and they would look forward to seeing them. And it was, I thought it was really an experience. They never complained they had to get up at 6 a.m. to go help mom ride with school bus, you know. So all the kids would be on the bus with you when you would go and yeah. you would drive. But they'd stop that later. But Carl would sit, there was a little ledge there, right alongside of where I sat to drive, and he could sit there, you know. Sometimes he would just sit there and I would... Do you remember that? <laughs> That's great. And, and yeah, it was... Um, and then, you can believe this or not, but they decided to get a babysitter for those who wanted it, and they could pay 25 cents a day to this lady at the church. 25 cents Since, a day for babysitting. Yeah. That's what awesome. it was. That's what they would pay. So if if I gave you this, you can watch Carl for one day. I'll give you 25 well, cents. a couple hours while for I drove a couple the hours. school bus. 
usually you had about three routes in the afternoon, and you know Carl would, and it, you know it's so amazing because Carl they look forward to seeing some of the kids. You know what I mean? That when they'd get old, you know they knew when we yeah. stopping and you know. Uh, one time I didn't think it was very nice because Carl had been, he fell asleep on one of the seats and the teenagers, he tied his shoes to the back of the seat. <laughs> <laughs> so they had bullies back then too. Those yeah. little rascals. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was. Uh... Thank you so much to our newest sponsor, Palermo's of 63rd Street. Palermo's authentic Italian food made with quality ingredients and unique sauces has attracted vast attention and praise for their sweet, distinctive qualities. Palermo's 63rd Pizza has been recognized nationally as Chicago's best. Palermo's 63rd Street now has three locations to better serve its customers. The original location, located at 63rd and Hamlin in the city of Chicago, Palermo's 63rd in Frankfurt at 446 South LaGrange Road, and Palermo's 63rd in Maryville, Indiana. 2893 East 81st Avenue. Visit Palermo's 63rd to get all three location phone numbers at www.palermosof63rd.com. When you call, order a pizza, tell them Kyle sent you. With expertise in ankle sprains, bunion treatment, diabetic foot care, neuropathy, and more, the team at Vittori Foot and Ankle Specialist combines its professional experiences to deliver effective and targeted treatments. The team is committed to create a safe and professional environment where patients can feel comfortable addressing any of their foot and ankle concerns. To learn more about the podiatry services at Vittori Foot and Ankle Specialist, use the online booking tool or call the office to book an appointment today by calling 708-273-7080 and visiting them at vittorifootclinic.com as well as liking and following their Instagram and Facebook pages. So, nineteen uh, President Kennedy was shot in nineteen sixty-three. Is that if I believe so? Nineteen sixty-three. Uh, Mary Jane was in fourth grade. Carl was a baby. You were driving the school bus. Everyone gets sent home. Fast forward a couple years. You were working at a hotel. When did you start working at a? Let me see if I got the right note right. At uh, the Palmer House. When were you? St- when did you start working at the Palmer House? Well, I was there for eight years, and so I'd have to think back. Um, I don't know. I I don't know if Carl had started first grade or not. I mean, I, I'd have to. Well, I left there. I'd have, I'd really have to think for a minute, and um, you know, I went right. The Palmer House was owned by the Hilton, still is, but people didn't know that. And anyway, the um, I'm gonna I'm gonna move this up yeah. just a little bit. Well, anyway, the oh, you're a very popular lady, very very um, popular. <laughs> when um, I got it, I'm just trying to think. I know Carl was. Uh, he was a small boy. Um, he. And they were just trying to not go too deep into this, but like they were just coming out, say, with computers then. Mm-hmm. And the Palmer House, um, they had to put in special wiring 
for the information they were putting in to come out at the Hilton because hippies tried to break into the room, you know, where they did the right. uh, printing or, you know, Edrigs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, it, it just happened that uh, I didn't want to work at the Conrad Hilton. It was too far away from everything. Is it? In? Um, it was too, it was, I got off the train, you know, downtown, and I wasn't going to walk back down to the Hilton. You know what I mean? And if you've ever been in Chicago in the wintertime and the wind coming off the lake and going between those buildings, it's not Not it. fun. Yeah. And so a friend of mine had started working at a U.S. Aviation Underwriters, and they were moving out of the Board of Trade because they were moving out to O'Hare area. And I decided to give it a try. And I got hired and started the next day, and I was there for about 20 years. <laughs> wow. So. Wow. When you were at the Palmer House, what that was a very luxurious hotel. Very, and it still is. It's a beautiful hotel. And the who's who of the world would stay there when they would come to Chicago. Who did you have the honors of meeting while you, you were at the Palmer House? Phyllis Diller. <laughs> Phyllis Diller. No, we met a few of them, you know. Yeah, and who would a few of them be? Who would who would some of the names be? Well, usually you could only get a glimpse of them. Like I saw Pat Nixon, you know, that was uh, the president's wife. You know, her name right. was Pat. You know what I mean? But there was a, we didn't have access to them that much. I mean, they didn't hide from us. They weren't afraid, or um, you know, what I mean, it, you could see them walking. You know, one time I got in the elevator with Phyllis Diller. And I, I didn't even know she was in there. But when I first started there, you had to punch a clock, and so that was in the lower level. And I had back then you really dressed up, so I had high heels. And I stepped in the elevator, and I said, usually I would just walk up the stairs, but I said the elevator was handy right here. And then she says, oh, she said that's terrible. She says when your feet hurt, you just hurt all over her. And I said. You're Phyllis Diller. And she said, no, I'm her double. <laughs> <laughs> she played, tried playing it off. Yeah. But, no, there were a few stars that, uh, you know, we we could see any of them, you know, uh, like Jack Benny or, you know, different ones, you yeah. know, like the, um, they used to have the one. All right, so here's a note we have here. We have Cassius Clay. Yes. And he, back then he was known as Cassius Clay, and he's now known as Muhammad Ali. Did you have an experience with him? Yes. Well, I was standing in the lobby, and he walked by. And the guy that worked in the office, <coughs> excuse me, it, he knew all the, you know, he'd been there a long time, so he always knew who these, he goes, there goes Cassius Clay. And he walked past us, and he got in the elevator, you know, went down the lower level. And I got right on it right behind him, and I walked up to him, and I said, are you Cassius Clay? And he said, no, I'm Muhammad Ali. And very, very nice. Was he a big man? No, he was very, well, uh, he was not huge, or you know what I mean? He just looked yeah. well. Is he uh, tall? Is it Muhammad about Ali my tall? height. Really? Wow, so on TV, Muhammad Ali looks like he's a, the size of me. He's 6'4". Six three, just a big man. Well, he might have been, but I mean, back then, yeah. I mean, with me with high heels, I'm six feet. You're six three too. <laughs> <laughs> so 
after you put him in check, yeah. he got a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. saw your fist clenching up right for a, for a knuckle sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Cesar Romero. I never saw him. I never saw him. I don't. Oh, okay. But, you know, sometimes we saw, you know, actually I saw the guy that was in that, uh, did you ever see that movie uh, where they're trying to, oh God, I got to think about it, um, where they said he kicked the bucket, you know, with the, they, these guys were trying to get to California where somebody had buried a lot of money at a cemetery. Clint Eastwood? Was that the good, the bad, the ugly? Yeah. Just a jerk? Yeah, totally so Cesar Romero for for my age group, that's the original Joker on the bat on the Batman uh, TV show, on the Batman show. He was the original Joker. And apart from what I remember I was reading, I think I heard this as well, that his contract when he played the Joker on the Batman TV show, he would not shave his mustache. So they actually painted the Joker makeup around his mustache. But he was also a very, very accomplished theater actor and, and film. It was a very big film actor as well with Cesar Romero. But that's how I would know, know him was through the Batman. The Batman show is the first Joker ever. But he was very full of himself from what I can imagine. Oh, you know what? The famous people that I saw, I saw the astronauts, the first ones. Really? Yes. Wow, and they stayed at the hotel. Uh, well, they were there for lunch the day they were in Chicago. Um, I was, um, I, I used to work in food control, and mm -hmm. then I became buyer about the last five years I worked okay. there. But I knew almost everybody worked in the kitchen. It was huge, you know. But anyway, I went down there, and they, these guys were really kind of hurrying around, running around, you know. And, and I said, you guys really sound like you're really, in a, and they said, Yes, we're making lunch for the astronauts. <laughs> wow. And, and I and so the older waiters and stuff, they knew the backsides of the hotel. The guy says, come here, I'm going to tell you how you can see them. And he told me which door to get in and to go up the stairs. I went up four flights in the back stairs, and I was up in the balcony of the uh, Grand Ballroom, and I was standing up there when Mayor Daly walked in with the three astronauts. So you snuck in. You snuck I was in just standing up there watching. You know, I didn't have... And then I, I was gone. There was one thing about the job. They never seemed to mind if you were gone for a long time or how long you were gone for lunch or whatever. You know, they just didn't ever seem to say what took you or whatever. And so when I got back, I said, I just saw the astronauts, you know. And everybody was really happy that... In my, in my opinion, though, that's probably the most famous... People that you've seen there were were the astronauts, and there's only there's only certain groups of people that they could say they were the firsts. Yes. And they were the first. Yeah. They were the first ever to be in space, and those that could be the most, in my opinion, the most important person, the most famous people that you can ever meet are the first. Yeah, and you know what really amazed me? Even a few years went by, and they were just showing an old picture, like from the uh, Chicago Tribune. And they said that there was a million people in Chicago that day. And I don't know what, I, I was an outside. I don't even know how they'd know a million people. But that many people came to see. 
they couldn't even walk on the streets. I did. They did say that that it was jammed outside, but I didn't know what they meant because I didn't go out there or even try to. Yeah. But I did see a picture that held the people standing there at the entry on State Street to the Palmer House. So the 1960s happened and mid-60s start. The Vietnam era and a cultural difference starts in the, in the United States. More of a traditional type home. And now it's becoming more of a, a, uh, a free people. They, they had no regard, I would say. Maybe a little bit more of a, an open mindset versus a traditional structure. The Vietnam era happens. And, and where were you at at the time and your life during the Vietnam era? Oh, I was married and, you know, I was very involved with the American Legion Auxiliary, you know, at the, with the Vietnam War. And what, what is the American Legion Auxiliary for those that don't know? What they what? what? What is that? What is the American Legion Auxiliary for those that do it's not like know that? It's like for uh, veterans of wars, and like the VFW is for foreign wars, but they have to be in during the wartime, uh, you know, to be a member. But actually, it's a social thing. American Legion, you know, they're known worldwide now, and the same with the world, you know, the vets. But um, I became very um, involved with it. And for 15 years, I ran the uh, thing for the Gifts the Yanks program. And we'd go to the hospital and visit the, you know, uh, patients and, um, you know, then find out what they'd like for Christmas. And we'd give them a choice between one or four items. And we would get exactly what they wanted. They wanted a watch or a pair of shoes or a jacket or a sweater or whatever they might want. That's amazing. And I will just say one thing, though, because it involved Carl. Carl was still so little. But I took them to take the Christmas gifts. And I would just say, the man in the red shirt or the man in whatever, you know, and Carl or Jill, you know, would take the gifts. And then uh, one of the stores had donated a man's wristwatch. And I didn't take it because we also would give gifts to shut-ins you know, in Lansing, you know, or somebody remember they, you know, somebody veteran, you know, we had gifts. All the stores were very generous. They called it the Gifts the Yanks program. And I, uh, when I, I did take the watch on Christmas Eve, and when I got there, the people that were the running the uh, program, they said they were so happy to see me, and they wanted to tell me, that the vet said they had the nicest Christmas they'd ever had because they got to see Carl. Because <laughs> Carl was your little helper. He was yeah. your elf. And they said they hadn't seen children. And they were so glad that I was there with the children because that was that really made their day. That brought a smile to <laughs> And them. then I think how many times you think, you know, but I thought that was really nice that they wanted me to know that, you know, but, you know, Carl, you know, you just say take it to that, you know, and yeah. he, the kids were really good. As a matter of fact, Carl learned to wrap silverware <laughs> he was two years old. I used to, <laughs> when I, uh, I was very involved with the American League. I was also, uh, you know, like district uh, president, you know, representing our unit, you know, eighth district, you know, and I was their rep. So I have written down that you were the first woman president of the American Legion. Well, of, uh, from the unit, yes. From yeah. your unit. That's amazing. And, yeah. what, and what year was that? Well, <laughs> um, early 70s, late 60s? It had to have been um, 
Um, I'm trying to think here. Uh, because, you know, Dick and, and the kids, you know, they were there for my installation and everything, but people could not believe it because he always looked very young. And Dick, was well, he was a very nice-looking man, but he, people could not believe that I was too young to be the president of a district because they just thought I was too young. And I was in my 40s. I mean, it wasn't like... But, so now you were too young. And let me ask you this, in the in the early 70s or late 60s, being a woman president of a, a fraternal organization, a, a mostly male organization with the American Legion, was that heard of? Was that, did you take a lot of, did you take any any uh, heat, any, any criticism? No, because, you know, there's a man, there's a commander, and then there's the president, you know, they have a unit. But, you know, now they're asking men to join the auxiliary. They can, and and if a woman can join the men's side if they've served in the service. Mm -hmm. But now they're asking, because they, it's the men can have some input, even though they're veterans, they can still belong. They can believe, belong to the auxiliary now if they want to. Really? So amazing? it's really opened up? But people, because like I said, I always refer to him dad, you know, but Dick, he was a nice looking, he was young looking and people couldn't believe I, I was not old enough to be able to do that. Wow. And, well, congratulations. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I, but no, I, uh, I, I believed in the programs and I think we did a yeah. good job and we would go visit the uh, veterans, you know, sometimes you don't went to Heinz or, you know. A few hospitals and um, like the kids, they there was one guy who was a shut in from uh, he broke his neck in a water skiing accident. And when I drove a school bus, so Carl and we would stop a lot of times because he'd be just sitting out on the side of his. And I would stop and we'd talk to him. They had a little dog, and the kids liked to play with him. And but he liked us stopping, you know. It was and a then, highlight for him, a highlight of his day when he yeah, saw yeah, the I kids. Yeah, I only tell you this. You. I thought it was so cute. One time I was taking the kids when he was in for treatment, and I, he was at some veterans hospital. And anyway, when uh, when I got there, one of the vets was on like a table, and he goes, you know, it, he pointed down, you know, where I, I right now for the moment I can't even think what his name was, but but he said he's down in such and such a room. And then when I, I said, how did that guy know that I was coming to see you? And he said, because I told him that a very attractive, nice lady was going to come and she'll have four kids with her. <laughs> and you showed up with all of them. <laughs> yeah. And I had, wasn't that cute though? I mean. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, he just said, and, and, but you know what? I really, I really thought, and the guy was so nice, you know, I mean, to. We loved stopping and talk to Van, you know what I mean? I even think, still think about him today because, uh, you know, he he just said, you know, he said when you get good at doing something, like he's showing off his spinning and he was, uh, you know, water skis and he did a flip that when he came up, his head was flopped over on the side. Uh, and, anyway, that's he, tough. he was... Yeah, but you brought a smile to his face regularly. Yeah, but when they cute the whole, we say, well, how does he know, you know, he vans in there. That's <laughs> so, great. Yeah, I just thought it was funny, you know. So we, we covered 40 years, believe it or not. We covered 1930 to, to 1970. You saw the invention of the TV. 
I still the the invention of the TV, the television. Oh. When did you get your first TV? Right, right around what what timing was the? Did you guys get the first TV for the home? Um, I would say late fifties. I mean, 50s. you know, because I we didn't have one right away. Maybe a year. I mean, I'm not quite sure. You know, the first TV, uh, but we didn't have one the minute we got married. You know, because we bought a house and we had lots of things, and TV wasn't like it is today. You know what I mean? But we did. Uh, we had it though before the kids, you know what I mean? No, we had it. I would say late fifties or early fifty-four. To you know, what was your favorite program to watch? Oh, stuff like I Love Lucy. I or, love Lucy. <laughs> you know, well, there was always comedian type things on and different. Uh, you know, there was just uh, you know shows you like to watch. I mean, you know, like uh, they had a lot of amateur stuff and. Uh, you know, a contest, you know, like singing or, you know, routine stuff. Like a variety show yeah. type. That's fantastic. All right, so 70s happen. Let's go into the 80s. 1980s, Carl is 20. He's coming out of he's coming out of high school. He's got, he's got his wings underneath him. The 1980s happen. What happens in your life in the 80s? In the 80s? In the 80s. Well... I moved to uh, this plains. I don't know. In uh, well, you were probably still. Were you nineteen or? Yeah, late high school. Okay, so moved up to this plains. So you've went from Kentucky to East Chicago, north. Now you went slightly to the west to Lansing, which is probably about thirty minutes from East Chicago. Now you're all the way in the northwest suburbs of by O'Hare Airport by this plains. You were up in Des Plaines for how long? Oh, um, I moved here in 85. In 85, okay. So you moved up to uh, Des Plaines in 85. Were you still working in, in 1985? Was Was Richard still working in, in 1985? I worked for U.S. Aviation for 25 years. I was at the Palmer House 8. I was 25 for the U.S. Aviation. And then uh, when I moved here... Um, I still was working at U.S. Aviation. It was at Lee and Tui. But then um, the lady who manages this complex, she um, had a, I, she wanted me to work there. <laughs> and so she, when I retired, I worked at the office for 15 years. Wow. I, re, I worked, I was 70 when I retired. And... Um, I'll never forget, though, what she said. She says, you will have access to everybody's personal records, personal information, but I know you won't go between uh, tenants, you know, and reveal anything about the other neighbors. Which I don't know, but this is what she had she saw surmised of me. She, she saw integrity out of you. And, she uh, saw trustworthiness. So... Um, that was in 1970. I started working there just almost immediately after I retired. And I worked there till I was 85. And um, I quit. <laughs> I mean, it was just sort of... There, actually, I think she wanted somebody else. It was a good friend of her. They'd been friends since they were six, 17 years old. 
and she'd gone through a divorce and stuff. And I, I think, you know, she eventually did get the job. She's not there anymore. Yeah. But anyway, though, no, it's been a very nice. Uh, I've had uh, a good, good relationship, you know. And I really am very fortunate that I wound up living here because, uh, you know. I really get a nice break in the rent. I mean, yeah. sometimes I get a nosy neighbor that would like to know, and and I don't say anything. You Smile know. and be nice. Yeah, just treat others the way you want to be treated, right? Yeah, but a lot of times I see people yeah. that I rented the apartments to or that you know, oh, you're the one, you know what I mean? But the people here are very nice. They're very well screened, and That's you know. Great. Uh, when did Richard pass away? In seventy, he was what seventy eight. Two, uh, 2000, 2007. 2007. Okay, so 78 years old. That's a beautiful life. Se- 78. Carl was, we'll say, in, in uh, 2007, that would put him at 47? 47 years old. You guys were living here. Were you, were you living here in 2007? And so in this time, from 1930 to 2007, you've experienced a a novel a series of novels of of history things that have happened in history from the cell phone to a cellular phone to a computer that you can hold in your <laughs> hand talk a little bit about that like how how it was somebody that has been through so much what what is that like to know how fast the world has progressed in, in your lifetime with all the technology well, I think a lot of it is amazing, but I think that people, you you don't expect it. It just happens, and you adapt to it, and this is the way it is. You know, you can't start a riot just because you don't like what somebody did or said. But yeah. I think you just have to um, keep your nose, what they used to say, keep your nose to the grindstone and, and mind your own business and don't try to change the world. That's how I look at it. Yeah. So you have a you have a... 15 year old sitting across from you right now what were some lessons that you would like for them to learn you have a young impressionable uh a high schooler uh (laughs) and they're sitting across from you and and they would look at you in the eye and say ma'am what what would be some valuable lessons that i need to know going forward with life with your history with everything that you've seen i don't even know where to start i mean it's I I just think that you don't have to have a lot of um, uh, history. You know, like a lot of times people don't realize what they're saying or doing. I mean, all of this stuff that you see on TV and stuff is, you know, they if they will just try to be a better person themselves instead of you know just doing something because somebody else is. Copy, they might think it's a good copy or, you know, like we need to be like somebody because it's somebody on TV or stuff like that. And I don't, uh, I just think that you have to be realistic in your own world because maybe they have a different income or a different status of, uh, uh, you know, how they are existing. And uh, you just live with what you, what within your means or within your uh, you got to think about uh, what are you doing to yourself or your family, you know what I mean? Because I'm very proud of my children and the way they've turned out. A lot of you know, a lot of ethics that they have are, um, 
you know, I mean, it's just, it's just, you, you just don't turn your back and say, oh, it's okay, you know, if you do that, you don't, you know. I mean, that's pretty simple. I mean, that's the way I look at it. It is very simple. It's, and it's very pure, very true. If your grandpa was sitting across from you right now, what would he say? What would your grandpa say? <laughs> oh, grandpa, you know what? I'll never forget him, but it wouldn't. The last time I saw him, I didn't know he was in the process of dying. But when I left, I said, well, grandpa, when you feel better, will you come visit us? <laughs> Everybody got a kind of kick in the, they said, you know, they didn't know because back then, um, there was a big hill about two miles long, I think it was. It went over the hill where we had to go from their house to our house. and But then you could go in a car, but go around. But somebody was there with a truck, and they were going to give me a ride home. And so so we didn't have to walk up over that hill, you know. But, I mean, that was the way we did. But and it, oh, Grandma always knew, because we had the old phones where you ring the three right. longs and the short but she always knew, though, when we would usually go there, like, on a Friday night and maybe stay overnight and come home Saturday or Sunday, you know. And uh, I just always, uh, um, uh, people, they knew that Grandpa was on his way out, but I didn't know. And I, they all got a kick after I left, because I was about 10 or 11. I said, Grandpa, when you feel better, you'll come visit us. <laughs> and people, you know, they kind of kidded me, you know, but... What would well, Grandpa say about today's world? Well, Grandpa was, of course, you know, I, I didn't realize how much it must have meant to them, what they went through, you know, with the murder and all, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, I mean, but but Grandpa, you know, he we always loved him, and, and Grandma, too, you know what I mean? We were, uh, I think we were blessed to have someone who cared or looked after us. Yeah. Well, I cannot thank you enough for for this talk. This was absolutely beautiful. Uh, learning and listening to your life. And believe it or not, we're, we're coming up almost on two hours. This is about an hour 45. That's how fast well, That's how fast this conversation has gone. And for, for you to share, you know, so many valuable lessons that people can, can learn about for about perseverance and working hard and not allowing the environment to dictate how you're going to live your life. You you dictate how the environment's going to adapt to you. Mm -hmm. And your story is just absolutely beautiful. And I can't thank you enough for the opportunity and thank Carl for the opportunity uh, for him to introduce me to you uh, and for you to share this. You, you, you've seen you've seen more than my, my feeble mind can comprehend. Uh, the, the technology, the, how life has advanced. Society has has gone in different directions several different times throughout your throughout your life. You've seen many different changes in the world, uh, many different changes in the United States, many different changes in just culture, in the culture. And it's I'm honored to learn about it. I'm honored to share it with other people. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. I mean, I'm just this is me. Like I'm very proud of my children. I mean, now Carl. I mean, he's perfect for his job and you know he wants things done the right way you know what i mean there's he's a, a bull he's <laughs> a bull there, there's no such thing as nowhere or any type of lasso that's going to hold him back so he he works hard i know that for sure no i know he's very uh, on top of things he is. you know he is well thank you so much and uh this is going to wrap up our our beautiful our beautiful interview 
Well, thank you for coming out. It's been a fun talk. You know, like I said, just talking free. I had no idea what you would want to know or what, uh, you know, but this is my life. <laughs> and it's beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you. Alrighty, we're going to end this right now. What a gift that was. It's one of the most beautiful parts about doing this podcast is I'm able to share the gifts that I'm receiving of listening to the stories and sharing them with you. Miss Ann Fuhrmeyer's story is absolutely beautiful. What she's endured, how she's pressed on through life, no matter what hand she was dealt, is a true testimony of American grit. She's got it. Miss Ann Fuhrmeyer, you're beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to speaking with me. Uh, at your condo with your son and great family friends sitting by us and sharing some beautiful family photos and able to indulge in some of the lovely oatmeal cookies and cornbread that you did make and I can't wait to have some more. Thank you so much for listening to the Inspirate Podcast. I ask that you follow and like Inspirate Podcast on whichever podcast player you are listening to and give us a great rating. Also, follow us on Instagram at Inspirate Podcast. And like us on Facebook at Enspray. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Vittori Foot and Ankle Specialists, located in Homer Glen and New Lenox, Illinois. Plermo's the 63rd Pizza, located in Chicago, Frankfurt, and Maryville, Indiana. I would also like to thank our special show contributors, specifically Mr. and Mrs. Robert and Amy Parsons. They like and believe the Enspray mission and contributed to our show. I am beyond grateful for their support and generosity by supporting Enspray Podcast. If you like what you listen to, believe in our mission, and want to sponsor or contribute to our show, please visit us at Enspray.com and click on Support Enspray Podcast or Sponsors.